Uh, Daniel just talked about this last week was Thanksgiving or kind of the week before that, but uh, many of you were traveling and you, thank you for laughing at my joke back there. I appreciate that. Um, but many of you were traveling. You just didn't know it was going to take you like two or three hours more on Sunday when you were coming back, right? Uh, I heard traveling was pretty tough on, on Sunday last week, but as you kind of think through that a little bit, you know, when we travel these days, it's, it's kind of easy. We pull out our phone, we, we get in our car, there's a map app, and so we, we put in the, the location, we put in the address of the place that we're going to go to, and, and then it gives us a couple of, of different options we get to choose from. We choose our option, we push go, and then we go. Now, here, here's the crazy thing about that, is that when we push go, no matter where we end up, no matter if we get lost or not, we actually always know where we are, right? It's because of this incredible thing called GPS, GPS tells us exactly where we are, even in those moments where we may feel like we're lost. We can look at that map and know that we're in that place, and, and for the most part, we're probably pretty safe. But I want to go back into the olden days, okay? And some of you, you remember the olden days. We didn't have phones to tell us where to go, and there wasn't GPS in our cars. There probably wasn't GPS at all that we knew of uh, that we could use on a personal basis. And so when we would travel places, we'd pull this little thing out right here. Like, do any of you still have these in your cars? Oh, I'd like to do a research on the ages of those of you that still have them in your cars. But anyway, uh, but I remember as a kid, like getting our road atlas out and just looking at places. Do you remember doing that? Like just looking at states and cities and roads and just kind of being amazed at, at everything that was in here. But you didn't travel without one of these in your vehicle, correct? Like you weren't going anywhere without one of these because... You didn't know where you were going. You didn't have GPS pinging you at every single location telling you where you were. And so if you got off on the wrong exit, if you took a wrong turn, if you're stuck on some back roads, you weren't looking at your phone. You pulled this thing out and you were like, all right, I just saw the road number 33. We got to find that in here. And OK, there's a sign for that town. And here's where that town is. The only way that you could make sure you weren't lost is having one of these in your car with you. Well, today we do start this new series called The One. And, and it is about Christmas. I mean, we, we think about Christmas and there's all these different aspects of Christmas and Christmas decorations and lights and gifts and shopping, all that kind of fun stuff. But, but I, I think sometimes we don't realize that we live in a world that is, that is lost. And, and you know, when, when for some of us, we, we, have this, we have this healthy GPS in us. We have this GPS in us that tells us exactly where we are in our life, and it's because we, we follow Jesus. And we understand that, we connect with Jesus, we have this bond, this relationship that's there, and yeah, we mess up, we don't live the life quite like we should, but, but we know we have something that, that's guiding us in our life. And yet for many people, what we find is that they're still kind of using this old road atlas, that, that they're still trying to figure out life, that, that they're lost, and they're trying to figure out where they are. And so this series, this Christmas series we're doing is called The One, now, when I talk about the one, we're going to talk about a couple of different things here. First, we're going to talk about the one. We're going to talk about Jesus. In fact, if we think about the Christmas story, it is all about the one being born. If you look in Scripture, in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8, we read these words. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, then you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. We look at these words right here, and it tells us this is the reason for Christmas. That this moment in human history, the one, Jesus, was born. But I think sometimes when we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, I think we kind of romanticize it. Because we look at a passage like this, and it's cute, it's fun, it's sweet. But there's actually a huge reason that Jesus was born. There's a purpose for his birth. And that's really what we're going to focus on over the next few weeks as we are in this series called The One. Because when we look at Jesus here, because of that one, because of Jesus being born, you and I, we're called to find the ones that are in our life who are lost. What does this mean? Well, we're going to be looking at three parables, and they all come out of Luke chapter 15. We're going to be focused on these over the, the next three weeks. Because Jesus talks about these lost things. And the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of these lost things that are in our life. We're going to start in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Seems like we talk a lot about this constant battle that's there between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees had this religious system in place, and they were like, hey, you got to follow these rules and regulations and laws and, and traditions. And, and then Jesus comes along, and his teachings are different. The way he lived his life was, was different. How he interacted with people was different. Who he interacted with was very, very different than, than the Pharisees. They, they lived a, a very different life, and, and Jesus kind of comes into this, this time period. Now, for the Pharisees, this system was predicated, again, on all these different laws and regulations. But one of the old religious laws said, one must not associate with an ungodly man. Now, if you were ungodly, here's what that meant. Um, it meant you couldn't be trusted with money. You couldn't be trusted with secrets. You couldn't give testimony. You weren't allowed to bring in orphans. Uh, if you were a part of the religious systems, you couldn't travel with an ungodly person. Or you couldn't even do business with somebody who was considered to be ungodly the, the whole idea was there shouldn't be any contact between this person who's trying to follow God and this person who is far from God and yet when we look at Jesus here what do we find here he is and he's welcoming these tax collectors and the people hated them they were they were Jewish but at the same time they were working for the Roman government so they were seen as seen as traitors and they were kind of ostracized from community and definitely from the religious people that were there at, at that point but, but then we see here in Luke, in this particular translation, calls them notorious sinners. Not to be confused with notorious B-I-G, very different, okay? <laughs> but this just meant they were immoral people, their life wasn't compatible with the law, and, and probably some of this actually connected to their occupations too. Uh, the Pharisees called this group of people, they actually called them, they, they termed them people of the land. And, and they were called people of the land because, again, they, they didn't follow the, the, the religious systems and laws and rituals that were in place. It was just kind of the the way they lived their life. And yet the people of the land were the people that Jesus spent a lot of his time with. And so as we begin this passage today, as we begin to spend some time here in Luke 15, I have a question for us. How is it that you view people who are far from Jesus? You ever thought about that before? 
how do you interact with people who don't, and I'm, I'm talking, this, this series really, man, this is for people who are followers of Jesus, all right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, sit back and you can kind of smile, laugh, whatever, because I'm going to kind of push this on, on, in this series, but how do you interact with people who don't behave like you, that don't think like you, that don't believe like you believe? Because often I'm afraid that our behaviors, they don't reflect the things we say we believe in, nor do they reflect the heart of God. And how can we be expected to influence the lives of people who are far from God when we too often, I think, are more like the Pharisees than like Jesus? Now, I think we can fall into maybe one of these three categories when it comes to people that are far from God. I think some of us are indifferent. We, we, um, we find a good church, and uh, we, we look around at that church, we're like, hey, it's got good kids programs, it's got a good student ministry, they're involved in the community. You know, I, I like their worship music, and their pastor does a good job when, when, when they speak, and, you know, he's got a great set, head of hair, so, you know, we, we love that church. I just didn't want to connect it with this church, so you were thinking I was talking about this church, all right? But you look around, you're like, hey, nice crowds are here. They seem unified. There's no big issues. They act like they've got their things together. And so you attend this church. And you're like, hey, this is my church. This is the church I'm going to be a part of. But you begin to look around, and we talk about something like this today. And you assume that there are people in the church that are reaching those that are far from Jesus. And so for you, it's not on your radar anymore, right? Someone else has this covered. Someone else is taking care of this. There, there's no need for me to, to worry about that. And so for some of us, we're kind of indifferent to people who are far from God. There's a second group here, and this is a group that isolates itself. And this group's rooted in, in fear. Um, it's sort of about holy huddles, if you will. That, that, that term Christian is, is not a verb that we live by. It's an, it's an adjective that we use in our life. So we, we send our kids to a Christian school so they can learn Christian values and then we put them into Christian sports leagues. Uh, we read Christian magazines and Christian books. We listen to Christian music. We watch Christian news. I don't even know if there is such a thing as that, but maybe it's out there somewhere. But, but we do that. Uh, your, your, your Christian car breaks down. It's a Christian car because it has Christian bumper stickers all over it. You call the Christian tow company to come pick it up, and you tell them to take it to the Christian mechanic so they can fix it. And so while the Christian mechanic is working on your Christian car, you go to Jehovah Java because all the pagans go to Starbucks to get their coffee, right? <laughs> it really is kind of this, this Christian underworld that, that we kind of live in this underbelly. It's kind of a scary thing. And, and some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, wait, hold up a second. That's me. <laughs> I, that's, are you talking to me? And yes and no. I, I, my point is this. I, I'm afraid too often, and I, I'm not knocking this as if you're, this is your life, I'm afraid too often that becomes a barrier for us. That, that that term Christian is an adjective and it's not a verb that we live out in our life. And so we're so focused on, on making sure that we, we, we protect ourselves in our holy huddles. And I think it's just fear that's there. Because I look at those Pharisees and I think, hey, they live by fear. They were fearful of the people of the land. And, and I wonder sometimes if we're not fearful of people that are far from Jesus. And so we isolate ourselves from them. And then the last group, you're antagonistic. Uh, you think about people that are far from God all the time. And let me just be honest, it's unhealthy, okay? Because you antagonize these individuals. It's, it's about hate and, and disdain. You don't believe like me. You don't think like me. You don't act like me. You don't live the same life that I live. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you really with hate. 
Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If this is, is you, here's what you're creating. You're creating this chasm between that person and the church. And you know what? That person is never going to walk through the doors of a church anywhere. But that's not the worst part. Here's the worst part. You're creating this chasm between that person and Jesus. And they may never come to know Jesus because you're antagonistic toward them. And they'll never come to this place of knowing who Jesus is. There may be other categories. But when I begin to look at my life and I look at the lives of others around me who say they follow Christ, I think we probably can find that if we're not careful, we can fall into one of those areas. And so the question again is, do my interactions with those that are far from Jesus, does it reflect the heart of Jesus or does it reflect the heart of the Pharisees? Here is Jesus who's hanging out with this group of people who were considered outcast and irreligious and far from God, and yet he's right there with them. He, he's right there with them in their mess because he knows that they're lost and he knows that they're in need of a Savior. Pharisees don't get this. And so Jesus begins to tell a story in verse 3. He says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? So Jesus begins to tell the story, he talks about the shepherd's got 100 sheep, one of the sheep is lost, and the shepherd decides to take care of the 99 and not worry about the loss, right? No, no, that's not the story. The shepherd looks and he's like, all right, 99, you look good, you're taking care of yourself, you're great, I need to go find this one sheep that's lost. Now, now why would a shepherd do this? Because there was this unique relationship that the shepherd had with the sheep. There was this, this bond, this connection that was, that was there. I got to witness this firsthand. One of my grandfathers, I've probably shared this before, was a shepherd. Not in the same context as what we find here in Scripture, uh, but he had about 30 acres of land, about 25 to 30 sheep on this land, I mean, pasture land in uh, southwestern Virginia. Uh, he had barns and fences to protect the, the animals, but it was amazing to watch the relationship that my grandfather had with his sheep. In fact, one of the things that was crazy to me, the sheep could be on the farthest end of the property. And uh, this was over some valleys and down uh, a couple of hills and stuff. So it was, it was pretty good distance away. And my grandfather would let out this shrill, incredibly loud whistle. And you could begin to hear that flock running towards him. And the next thing you know, you'd see them coming over the hill and they would go right toward him. They would encircle him because they knew who he was. Now, when my grandfather wasn't around, my cousins and I, we'd go out in the pasture, right? <laughs> the sheep are like 20 feet away, and we'd whistle, and they'd all put their heads up, they'd look at us, and then they'd just keep eating their grass, <laughs> which makes sense. There was no relationship that we had. My grandfather had the relationship with them. They knew he was their protector. They knew he was their caregiver. I think deep down, and sheep kind of are, are this way, they knew that he would do whatever it took to take care of them. And so I look at the shepherd that Jesus talks about in this story that he tells, and I think there's that same connection that's there. Like my granddad, there was this, this, this bond, this relationship that the shepherd had with the sheep. And when one of those sheep were gone, when he would whistle and call them all to come back, and one didn't come back, you know what? He knew exactly what sheep did not come back. And he would go to find that sheep. 
There's one big question we're going to ask throughout this series, and we're going to be asking you to be thinking about it in your mind, and next week we're going to challenge you with a, a, a practical step you can take. But the question is, who is your lost sheep? Who's your lost sheep? Who's the person that's in your life that is lost? And it might be a close friend. It might be your spouse. It might be your kids. It might be grandparents. It could be a coworker, a neighbor. Who is someone in your life that you know, that you care for, that you love, but you know is far from Jesus? That if you were to look at their life, they don't have this incredible GPS in place. They're still kind of working off of the road atlas. Who's that person in your life? Because you know what? The shepherd knows the sheep that are lost. But do we know that person in our life that's lost too? Well, Jesus continues on here in verse 5. He says, And when he has found it, talking about this sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I want you to look at that scripture there on the screen. Do you see what's happening here? Notice what this shepherd does not do. He doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't berate the sheep. He doesn't tie a leash around the sheep's neck and, and pull it back. He doesn't even make the sheep walk back. He, the shepherd knows this sheep has been wandering aimlessly for, for maybe hours. And, and the sheep probably has cuts and, and bruises. And, and knowing how sheep react when they're alone versus when they're with their flock, I mean, this sheep was probably incredibly stressed out. And so instead of dragging the sheep back, the shepherd grabs the sheep, puts him on his shoulders, and he carries him back. And the reason he does that is because he has this relationship with the sheep. If he didn't have this connection, it would have been probably more of an antagonistic type thing, like yelling at the sheep and beating the sheep and all these things that, that we may try to do to people that are far from God. But, but what does this shepherd do? He picks the, sh the sheep up and he carries him on his shoulders. When you think about the one who's lost in your life, because I'm guessing some of you are already beginning to pinpoint who that person may be, would you be willing to do whatever it took to find them? Would you be willing to carry them no matter what kind of cuts and bruises and stresses and burdens they have in their lives? Would you be willing to be right there with them and to carry them in those tough times? I'm not sure that many of us would. We would find a way to isolate ourselves or to feel indifferent towards them or to be antagonistic. And yet we find the shepherd carries the sheep back. So some of the reasons I think people are lost when it comes to their life and are trying to figure it out and they're far from, from Jesus, I mean, it's because of the burdens that they carry. There's life experiences there. There's broken relationships. There's issues with family members, parents, there's marriages that are incredibly messy. And, and then you begin to look at the world around you, and you're like, what is going on here? What's happening? I'm trying to make sense of all of this. And you have questions about God and the existence of, of God. And, and then a lot of times that leads to looking internally, like, <laughs> look at my life. Man, how could God love someone like me? And then I begin to wonder, how many of those people are living that lost life alone? And how many of us would be willing to carry them on our shoulders? Because often those people are carrying these heavy burdens. Those, those broken hearts, the hurting minds, the damaged bodies, the messy souls, and there's no one there to carry them. 
Are we willing to carry our own lost people in our life just like the shepherd carries the sheep? Are we willing to do what it takes? Then look at verse 6 there. It says, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Uh, we love to celebrate, right? I mean, we love to celebrate the good things in life, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, retirements. Uh, probably quite a few of you, since we have a, a high military population, you've been a part of those military reunions that happen, and you know, you post them online, and my eyes sweat for some reason. I don't know what's going on, but uh, you've been a part of those. You know exactly what that's like. Or when your team wins a championship, uh, unlike Daniel and my teams yesterday did not win championships, but uh, maybe your team did. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing better than these moments where we, we celebrate these incredible things that happen in life. And so we, we see this part of the story here, and the shepherd brings back this lost sheep. He, he found the sheep that was lost. And so there's this moment, this time for, for celebrating. Usually these shepherds were actually hired. Now sometimes they were hired by a business person, but, but often they were actually hired by villages. And so these were village sheep, okay? Uh, again, not to be confused with village people, two very, very different groups of there, okay? Here's what this meant. The villages actually owns the flock of sheep. So these hundred sheep here, the, the village probably owns this, this whole flock of sheep. And they would hire these shepherds to watch the sheep. And so if the, the shepherd loses one of his sheep, it affected not just one person, not just a business person, but it affected the whole community. And so when the shepherd would find it, it would bring it back to the village. And when he'd bring it back to the village, they would celebrate they would have a party. Now, hopefully it wasn't like, well, that sheep's been going, missing a few times, and so maybe that's our, <laughs> that's our meal. Day. I don't think that's the way it worked, but it may have. But here's the important thing. Something was lost, and now it was found. It was back home where it was supposed to be, and it was time to celebrate. As we look at this parable from Jesus, the question really is, how does this connect with us beyond what we've kind of already said? How does it challenge us in our lives well i think one it, it helps us to make sure that we're focused on the one in our life who is jesus while also searching for the ones in our lives so that in the end we can do just this we can also celebrate we can celebrate what god is up to in the lives of those that are lost well as i read this and as i think about this this passage and i think about the story there's a Three things that come to mind to me that I think are pretty important that we can pull from this parable Jesus tells about the lost sheep. Here's the first thing. Your one is attracted to a relationship and not a system. I want you to think about the Pharisees for a second. They ran a religious system. So for them, it was kind of like all about numbers and all about data. You follow these rules, you do these rituals, you make sure you're doing these traditions, and you can have this relationship with God. If you don't follow these rules and, and rituals and traditions, then you can't have this, this relationship. There, there's no relationship that's possible with God. But for them, it was all about systems. It was all basically, here's your checklist, make sure you're doing these every single day, and if you do this, then you can be connected to God. But when we look at the life of, of Jesus... His life was all about relationships. It wasn't about some system that was in place. He had relationships with his disciples. He had relationships with the people he came into contact with. He had the relationships with tax collectors, with notorious sinners. It was never about systems for people to follow. 
It was about relationships for Jesus to nurture. I think too often when we think about reaching those people who are far from Jesus, we think about, well, I'm going to get them from where they are, and I'm going to put them into this religious system, and in this religious system, they'll, they'll take care of them. That's not how this works. It's about the relationships that we have with other people. It's about relationships that we have from people who are far from Jesus. And here's what I can tell you. People that are far from Jesus, they want to be known. They, they want to have this bond. They want to have this connection. They want to have this relationship. In fact, maybe you've heard this before. People want to belong before they want to believe. They, they want to belong to something. They want to know they're cared for. They don't want to be a part of some system. They want to know that there's relationships with people who care for them and love them unconditionally in such a way that at some point, if you do it long enough, what you'll find is they'll take those steps to believe and to follow Jesus. And so when it comes to the one in your life, are you building a relationship with them? Or are you looking to put them in some kind of structure? I can promise you they're looking for a relationship. Second thing I would say here is your one desires to be unconditionally loved and not seen as a project to finish. Again, a lot of times we look at people who are far from Jesus and we're like, all right, because we love to-do lists, project management, that's what many of us do. And so we're like, all right, I'm going to put them into this project management system and I'm going to put all these sub-tasks out there. And, and so you look at them and you're like, hey, this is a to-do that I want to get to done, right? This is the way we kind of view them. People don't want to be seen as some project that's out there. They, they want to know that they are unconditionally loved by you. And when we look at the life of Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He loved people unconditionally. He didn't look at them and say, hey, you're some project, and I'm trying to reach this, reach this, this quota so, so God will give me a little extra credit. That's not why, how he lived his life. It was all about these connections and these relationships and loving people unconditionally. Those tax collectors, those notorious sinners, the religious system in place didn't love them. There were parameters there. We'll love you if you do these things. And many times, they wouldn't even worry about trying to connect with tax collectors and, and people who were sinners. They were like, you're way beyond anything that we can do. We're never going to be able to help you. We're not even going to talk to you about God. And Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, come hang out with me. Hey, let's go to your house, and you know what? Let's, let's eat together. Let's, let's chat. Let's talk. Let's laugh, because I know you are messy, and I want to be a part of your mess. And I'm going to show you what real love looks like. That's, that's why Jesus was sent to this earth. Because God had unconditional love for all of humanity. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. was because Jesus had unconditional love for all of humanity too. I wonder sometimes if we unconditionally love those who are far from Jesus and are lost in their lives. Because that's what people want. They want to be loved unconditionally and not seen as some project. And then the third thing I would say is that your one matters to God, so they should matter to you. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, the very end of this particular part of the passage, it says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The one in your life who's far from Jesus who's lost in the world, they probably have different values than you do, different beliefs and views. 
And so it's easy for us to count them out. It's easy for us to be indifferent or to isolate ourselves or even to antagonize them. But I read verse 7 here, and I think it's, it's powerful, and it, it tells us the way it is. It says, your one matters to God. So not only when the sheep comes back does the whole community celebrate because that sheep that was lost has now been found, but it says there's joy and excitement in heaven when that happens too. See, we forget that those people who are far from God, that we maybe try to hide from, that we really don't think a whole lot about, that we try to antagonize, do you know they actually matter to God? And if they matter to God, then they should matter to you and to me too. We've always got to keep that at the forefront of who we are. Which then leads me back to that question again. This main question we're asking in this series, who is your one? Who is your one? Who is the person in your life right now that you know who is lost? Maybe there's someone who followed Jesus at one point in time and something happened, again, that chasm happened, and and they've kind of pulled away from Jesus. They're, they're living a different life now. Maybe that's the person for you. Maybe it's someone you know in your life who's just far from Jesus and ha- has been their whole life. They, they've never even stepped in the, the foot in a church. They, they've never even talked about Jesus. They don't even think about Jesus. Who is your one? I, I can tell you right now, I know the name of my one in my life. And I think about this parable today, and my heart breaks because... Sometimes I think, am I just letting that one get away? Am I really focused on, on, on who that one is? Do, do I really want to see them come to know who Jesus is? Do, do I want them to understand the importance of the birth of Jesus Christ? That, that it wasn't so we could tell some cute stories during the Christmas season and do some decorations and hand out some presents and drink some eggnog. Like That's not the reason that the Christmas story happens. It happens to remind us that there's a God who loves us unconditionally. And there was a man, part human, part divine, whose name was Jesus, who loved us unconditionally too and died on a cross for us, but came back to life to give us hope for now and for eternity. And maybe you and I, we have that hope, but there's a world around us that doesn't. Who is your one? Who is that person that needs to know what that kind of hope looks like? And so I'm going to challenge you with this. I want you to be thinking over the next seven days who that person is in your life. And I also want to ask you to start praying for that person every day. Just say a little quick prayer like, God, give me an opportunity to connect with this person. And then next week, we're going to give you something tangible to kind of help you be focused on this as you head into the Christmas season, but even beyond that, because some people that you know that are lost, that change can happen quickly. And others, I mean, it could take months and years, maybe decades, but we can never, like the shepherd, give up on the lost in our life, because here's the deal, God never gave up on you. And that unconditional love should give us hope for now and eternity to share with other people in our lives that are lost.